Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm Alex Sherman. Thanks for listening. We have officially been doing this podcast for one year. So give yourselves a nice pat on the back uh, and truly, genuinely thank you for me for taking 20 to 25 minutes each week to listen to the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. And to commemorate this achievement, uh, this achievement of mammoth proportions, we're talking about daily fantasy sports today because a deal we broke back in June was announced a few days ago. DraftKings and FanDuel have officially announced they are merging. So here to help us break down what this means are Bloomberg Sports Business Reporters, Evan Novi-Williams and Scott Soshnick. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. I had the under in the uh, one-year pool, by the way. Yes, so did I. So we both <laughs> lost. Gentlemen, uh, thank you for being here. This merger is not a surprise, but help remind our listeners what daily fantasy sports are and why this merger is happening. Maybe, Evan, let's start with you. Just a quick primer for those who aren't familiar. Uh, what exactly do FanDuel and DraftKings do? How do they make money? And, and why are these companies uh, feel like they need to merge today? Yeah, this is a good topic for your one-year anniversary because they've been discussing this merger for, for at least year. a year. That's right. Yeah. Um, so daily fantasy is, uh, is a section of the fantasy sports world that popped up really four or five years ago but really gained strength and speed last year in which you pay an entry fee to enter contests and you can win money based on how well you pick a roster of real athletes uh, in a given day. And, and it happens in football, it happens in hockey, it happens in basketball, soccer, golf, NASCAR, really all of the sports that are out there, they've figured out a way to make these pay entry fees, win prizes, structure. Uh, and in the past five years, they grew ec- little by little and then exponentially last year. Uh, anyone who watched a sporting event on television last year could not avoid these advertisements. They spent, both of these companies spent, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars on ads competing with each other. Um, and with that burst into the spotlight came uh, increased scrutiny. Um, and attorney generals looked at whether or not the business model violated their gambling laws. Uh, a number of states ruled them uh, illegal to operate there. There was interest in uh, potential behind-the-scenes trading on the two sites. There was a lot of bad media and a lot of legal and regulatory concerns that popped up in the past year. And in that environment, these two giants decided, you know what, maybe it's time we combine our two companies, maybe spend a little less competing with each other and spend a little more on the companies and acquiring new customers, and that's where we are right now. So they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on advertising, which I certainly remember uh, Scott, so how do they get that money? Who are the investors in these two privately held companies? Well, you've probably heard of the likes of Shamrock Ventures, KKR, Comcast, NBC, and then, of course, you've got the NBA, uh, equity holder in FanDuel, Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots. So the Dallas Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones, another one of the investors. Uh, they're individuals, not their teams holding the investments. They're the individuals. So that's where they get the bulk of it. And then, of course, you've got the subscriptions where people pay to play. So they take their fees from there. But uh, I'd probably just differ in one thing that Eben said. It's not that they decided to merge. It was sort of forced upon them. Neither one of these companies had any cash. They couldn't fight any longer. I mean, they really almost have nothing. They have to get together save the money that they were using to fight each other, uh, pay legal fees, and see if in one single entity 
they can perhaps survive and thrive in businesses that they were they were fighting for. So is this not a good business or was the problem that simply they were spending too much money going head to head? I don't think we know right now. I mean, to be honest, it they grew so quickly. They were spending so much. Neither of these businesses were ever profitable in the first place. Uh, and, and there's never really been a prolonged period of normalcy in this market to really know. Um, there are people out there that, that feel as though the churn, the, the amount of people that sign up and then stop playing, is so large in daily fantasy that they're never going to have the consistent customer base to make these things profitable. There are others that feel like once uh, the regulatory and legal concerns are gone and they're legal in whatever it is, 45 of 50 states, and there's some normalcy that maybe they will reach a point where they're profitable. The big question is whether or not if you don't spend more than you're bringing in on advertisements alone, if you can keep this thing afloat and, and, and making money. And we, we haven't reached a point where we can even tell that yet. Yeah, they also took different paths. Like DraftKings would make, in taking investment, they would also then promise huge media buys with the teams and the, that, that were investors. FanDuel went the other way. They have less commitment. So DraftKings had to go and re- uh, renegotiate and rework those deals. They took different approaches. You wonder which company had better standing going into the merger. Uh, some people say that was answered by the fact that Jason Robbins of DraftKings came out as the CEO of the company, while Nigel Eccles of FanDuel is the chairman of the board. Obviously, the day-to-day control would fall under the CEO, not unilateral action, of course, but maybe you're going to see more of a DraftKings approach to how the business was going. But this is a 50-50 merger, correct? It was. 50-50 stock merger. That's exactly 50-50 stock merger. Do we know any sort of financial details about what this combined company is worth at this point? I'm not sure they know. You know what's one of those? It's worth what somebody's willing to pay? We're hearing that the company's separate, and this won't close for about a year. So let's just say that. If it closes at all. If it closes at all, we'll get to that. But they're probably going, as independent operators, going to look to raise money pretty soon now that the merger has been announced. Then the plan, if it goes through as a combined entity with sort of that regulatory clarity that perhaps will come in the future, they will then again go and seek to raise money. What's the valuation? How much? We don't know. That's what we're waiting to see. And then theoretically, the plan at that point is to either IPO or sell like it is with any private company, you would imagine? You would imagine that an IPO or sell is definitely the way they're going to live. All right. So where are we in terms of uh, legality before we even get into the antitrust concerns? Um, are we over the hump for these companies? Because I know they made a settlement in New York State, right? They did, yeah. It, it kind of depends on where you put the hump. Uh, they Both these companies operate in, in most states. I believe it's 40 of the states for FanDuel and, and 39 for, for DraftKings. They are going state by state. That has been their approach for a while, that they were going to pick the states that, that were important to them, that might have some contentions. Take New York, for example. They were going to spend a lot on lobbying. They were going to do whatever it took for the, the state to eventually pass a bill legalizing this. So so it wasn't just an interpretation of the, the state rules. It was a, a bill that said that this was okay. And that's the approach that they're taking right now. It's been very expensive. There have been states where it's been successful, like New York, which is one of the most important states for, for these companies. And there have been other states where it hasn't been successful. Nevada, for example, is a state I don't think we'll ever see DraftKings, FanDuel, or the mega merged company operating in for a long time. Not until the casino lobby sees a way to capitalize, and then maybe they'll ease off and say, yeah, we want in on this, too, and we can right. do it ourselves. Right, exactly. So if a casino were to buy them, for instance, then all of a sudden maybe uh, the laws you, you, you have to guess they'll probably lobby the other way. Right. Say, oh, it's okay. It's exactly. Okay. Um, so so just you know, in general terms, 
uh, what is their winning argument to become legalized here? Because so, so they're arguing they're not illegal gambling. They're something else. This is like a skill-based argument. Is that is that what they're using? Yeah, that's generally what it is, that they're arguing that, that Daily Fantasy is a game of skill and not a game of chance and therefore is not gambling under the traditional rules that most states operate. Um, and from what I understand, they have a pretty good argument. It's just a matter of the basics of what state by state when you go state by state it's a matter of who who's in charge who's making the decisions who else is lobbying for or against you which we've seen kind of run up uh, in the past with these two companies uh so it's a tough uh, approach and one thing we haven't talked about yet the idea of legalized sports gambling which is obviously one of the reasons nevada is is kind of taking a, a slow approach here uh when you talk about the valuation of these companies that is something that will dramatically change how much this this one company or these two companies, if they if they end up staying separate, are worth? They were worth a billion dollars last year. They were raising between a half and, and a third of that la- earlier this year. If legalized sports gambling does happen, uh, the approach that these companies take to that would, would dramatically change their valuation. In terms of game of skill, though, Eric Schneiderman's arguments sort of fed into that argument of, of the companies when he said, well, it's more like this misleading advertising where you say anybody can win. Schneiderman showed that there are these whales, same as casinos, the, these people with, with, with computers and, and these algorithms win most of the time. So if they have a system by which they can win most of the time ahead of just any random person picking, that would show they have a skill-based set for winning these competitions. So that actually helps these companies when you're talking about game of skill versus game of luck. Yeah, the reason I don't play these things is not because I think I'm unlucky. It's because I know that there are people out there that are much better at this than I am. More with Evan Novi williams and Scott Soshnick, Bloomberg Sports Business Reporters. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. Okay, Evan, I want to follow up on something uh, you said briefly uh, just a minute ago uh, in terms of sports gambling legalization. Uh, So how exactly would that change the valuation of these companies? Meaning what exactly? Sure. So the idea or the way a lot of people think about these companies is that Daily Fantasy was kind of a entree into legalized sports gambling. There's obviously a lot more money in sports gambling than there is and likely will ever be in the Daily Fantasy world. And that the reason Daily Fantasy became so popular was because Americans who want to have money invested in a game that they're watching couldn't really do it. They have no other option. Exactly. This was their option. Um, And if legalized sports betting were to happen countrywide now, these two companies have a huge data set of customers that are used to giving them money, have a way to quickly put money into accounts. These are people that are most likely going to be very interested in gambling. And theoretically, the from a technology standpoint, switching your platform from daily fantasy to offering lines and point spreads, et cetera, is not really a huge jump. So if they reach a point where once that's legal, they want to get into that. This is a huge growth opportunity for them. First mover advantage in an area where they haven't even moved yet. But looking down the line, how easy is it to jump from you're doing this daily fantasy, sports wagering, which has been termed gambling, onto legalized sports gambling? They have first mover advantage. They'll have brand recognition identity. 
this is probably where people would go to put their money. And it's a sticky situation. Jason Robbins of DraftKings told us right after the merger that they were very much a fantasy-first and fantasy-only company. They were not looking at that at all. In some ways, he probably has to say that. There are leagues that are invested in these companies that are obviously fighting the uh, the legalization movement countrywide. There are individual team owners that are kind of in the same boat. It would be a mess if it were to happen. But theoretically, if these companies were able to pivot their business model, they would be uniquely and very well suited to capitalize on that market. And that question of sports gambling legalization, is that a, that's a state-by-state state issue. It's unlikely to be addressed at the federal level. It's not like our next president has any tie to the casino or gambling industry <laughs> i think that could be either i mean there's we've seen new jersey obviously try to make it a state-by-state issue and then there's certainly i believe a possibility that that this could happen at a federal level as well, well. if you take the model of the uk it's federally regulated if you take what adam silver the commissioner of the nba has said and he has come out in support of the legalization he said what we need is a federally regulated system it doesn't make sense, he said, to go state by state. It's just too difficult for everybody to know where am I, what can I do. So on the federal levels, what I think at the end, all of the sports leagues might wind up pushing for, and the NBA was out front. All right, so let's get to the antitrust concerns, because that I think is sort of the big outstanding question here is whether or not this deal actually happens. So can you guys lay out for me the case about why this deal will go through and then the case about why it won't? Here's what the companies are saying, and here's what their attorneys will argue to the FTC, which is the entity we believe will hear it. Yes, these two companies have 90% of the daily fantasy sports market. They will say, yes, we say that's true, we do. However, we are not looking at ourselves as just a daily fantasy sports company. We will be competing in the much bigger pool of all fantasy sports, in which case we don't have a leading position in the market. There are plenty of others in there. ESPN is a competitor. Yahoo is a competitor. They have more users in that world. So if you open, open this up and look at it as a fantasy sports, not just daily fantasy, then we're just kind of the minnow in the bigger pond and others can, can rush in with investment. Other companies can come in and be created. Other mergers can happen. Don't just look at this in the narrow lens of daily fantasy sports. That's going to be their argument to the FTC. If you read the the statement the two companies put out, they refer to themselves as a technology company a number of times. It's pretty clear, as Scott said, that they're going to be looking to cast themselves as a smaller company in a much bigger industry than the behemoth that dominates 90 to 95% of the daily fantasy market. And I think we may see... In the short term, some new products that maybe push themselves into those verticals a little bit. If you look at a company like ESPN, they do so well on the the season-long fantasy because you can get news from ESPN. You can get analytics and data from ESPN. You can kind of do it all on their site. I think you may see FanDuel or DraftKings kind of start moving into that world, not unlike the Bloomberg Terminal, a place where you can trade and get news and parse your own data um, I, I think you could see these becoming that for fantasy sports as well. And so if the deal is nixed, it's simply because regulators looked at this market as simply daily fantasy sports as we know them today, and one one plus two is 90%, and therefore we won't. Sure, yeah, deal. I think the, the, the simple argument against it is that in the daily fantasy world, this is a pretty non-competitive move. But the question is whether you look at it through that lens You would see, like the, the Supreme Court justices say, that you take a narrow view of the argument or a much broader view if they take a narrow view perhaps the merger is in jeopardy if they don't if they buy the argument that this is part of a bigger industry 
they think there's a better chance it goes through. So where where do we suspect Daily Fantasy Sports is headed, assuming that, that let's put aside the question of broader sports gambling legalization in the next year or two before that question is addressed? Yeah, I mean, is is this still a growing industry? Do we at least know that part? Is it possible that this was sort of boom-bust uh, a la what we saw with poker a few years ago? Do we know exactly the directions of these companies? People seem to dig it. I mean, people do enjoy playing it. I think the marketing campaigns, have we've seen the change. It started out as come win big money, win million-dollar prizes, and it's sort of morphing into the entertainment, have fun, compete against your friends. So if it can capture that sort of market, and there are plenty of people out there who don't think they're going to win the million dollar and it's sort of been disproven along that you're probably not going to win but you want to compete there's bragging rights among your pals for your fantasy teams i mean there are some people who would rather win their fantasy league than get a bigger bonus at work you know they have the bragging rights among their friends that's what the, that's what this enables to do and it looks as if if the advertising is any key that the companies will sort of pitch themselves as that come for fun and camaraderie more than get rich and we'll see we'll see more investment in in these companies in the next year, not just because of the idea of a merger. I mean, people forget that in September of this year, kind of in the middle of what is a very bad year for daily fantasy, DraftKings raised 150 million dollars around that was primarily led by Ted Leonsis and Revolution Growth. Uh, so there was money kind of flowing into this industry when it was at its worst. Uh, the New York, the the settlement in New York was a huge because New York is huge. Also because the thought was that that will be a model for a lot of other states that might be holding out. I'd say it's a growth industry. There's no, I don't think anybody really knows how big a growth industry is. Will we ever see them at at billion dollar companies that that they were last year? That remains to be seen. But Scott's right. There's there's possible there's opportunity here, and and people do love it. And it's a it's a new market that nobody's really. Hasn't, as I said before, hasn't really had a, a chance to grow in a normal period. One of the executives from one of the companies, like I should say now the company, said to me in a, in a conversation the other day, well, don't, worry, don't forget I work at a unicorn. I'm like, is that some sort of statement on your valuation? They're like, no, 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 no. Well, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. But that's what, that's what they were. That was the mindset, that that is what these companies were. Are they now? We don't know yet. And to your earlier point, Scott, about uh, competing against friends, I suppose what that does is it takes a little bit of uh, – the the scare element out of this country to, to what Evan was saying earlier. Uh, if I didn't want to play previously because I was afraid some shark would just take my money and I was just a casual fan, if I'm playing against my friends, now maybe I'm a little bit more willing to fork over some money because I can beat my That's neighbor. what Schneiderman was saying. He was saying that it's sort of a false advertising is what they were doing. They were promising riches. And we, when it wasn't going to be delivered. And we saw that already. Both DraftKings and FanDuel introduced new products this year for this NFL season. One was a, is a league-based thing, and, and for FanDuel's it's a friends thing, based on that exact idea that people want to play against their friends. It's more like ESPN and Yahoo's season-long model, uh, and it also kind of helps avoid the problems of just getting picked off by these guys that have but, computer algorithms. But just to that. be clear, the difference between the ESPN-Yahoo thing that has been existed for 15, 20 years and this is that all the players are putting in money into the system, right, and the winner then gets back money so it doesn't need to be done on mm -hmm. the side as fantasy leagues have been doing for <laughs> on the up and up as we'll on say. the up you, and you, up yeah, right. exactly you don't need the uh, asterisks for entertainment purposes only anymore sound <laughs> as if you maybe have some experience with this alex i mean i'm just talking from uh, my yes yes no i I've, I've done it for 20 years i can i can i'm i'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that um 
And I hope that I won't get arrested for saying that if Eric Schneiderman is listening to this. Uh, so that's it for this week's episode. Uh, thank you to Scott and Evan for joining us. You can expect more Bloomberg reporters and M&A professionals who are doing deals real time on the show. And until then, please find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Google Play, or any app you use to listen to podcasts. And please take a minute to rate and review the show while you're there. Also, follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Uh, Evan, where can, where can we find you on Twitter? I'm at Novi underscore Williams. And Scott? At Soshnik. Uh, and if you have any suggestions for topics or guests for year two of the podcast, please email me at asherman6 at Bloomberg.net. See you next week. Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated.